Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, the annoying voice of podcasting, and you're listening to the non-annoying Three Guys in a Flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. This is what I learned at the hospital. You have to do everything you can. You have to work your hardest. And if you do, if you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver lining. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Silver Linings Playbook. Beware, spoiler. Coming to you from the ballroom at the Ben Franklin House in Center City, my name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. Heidi ho And to my left we have the professor, Ken. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing today? I am doing great. The sun is out and we are indoors. I and this <laughs> I was going to say and this is one of those rare instances where we are recording when the sun is out. So, thank you professor. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. It's a pleasant uh, diversion to have a sunny day instead of recording in the evening. Yes, or even on a rainy day, mm-hmm. right? Tonight we are talking about Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, it comes to us from one of our listeners, Ivy. And normally I would say, why this movie? But she's not here. So thanks, we, Ivy. So we're going to go ahead and just say, you're right, Professor. Hey, thanks for putting in the helmet. Uh, we look forward to talking about it. This one's for you. Released on November 16th, 2012, Silver Linings Playbook was directed by David O. Russell. Screenplay by David O. Russell based on the book, The Silver Linings Playbook, by Matthew Quick. And it stars Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro, Jackie Weaver, Chris Tucker, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $21 million and brought in $236 million. Uh, had you guys seen this prior to us watching it? Uh, yes, I have. Sir? I have not. I think I had started it. But I don't think I'd ever finished it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and chalk it up as this was the first time I had seen it as well. I do remember when it came out, and I don't remember a whole lot of publicity behind it. And I kept thinking, what is this movie and what is it about? And just because I didn't know anything about it, I never went and saw it. Yeah, sure. And plus, I'm pretty sure it didn't have any spaceships is why you didn't yeah. see it as well. That's probably too. Yeah. There was no comic book adaptation. But this movie comes out big, right? Um it's a nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards. It was directed by David O. Russell. Are you guys familiar with any of his work? I didn't know that I was familiar with his work, but yeah, I am familiar with his work. I think probably the one that rings with me the most is Three Kings. But he's also responsible for uh, The Fighter, and that, w- that, was, uh, that was the reason why he, p- he pretty much got to do this movie was because of the success of The Fighter. And then the year after this, he also does American Hustle, and it does very well again. And most recently, I I have not watched this, but uh, Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah. And I guess when he does American Hustle, the uh, award nominations are exactly the same as they were for Silver Linings. Is it the Big Five? I think it's the Big Five. 
Big Five is a picture, director, actor, actress, and screenplay. Right. And they were nominated for a playbook, and then the very next year for Hustle for the same category. That's pretty fucking impressive, right? So he knows what he's doing. And didn't they win one of those Academy Awards? Uh, Jennifer Lawrence wins Best Actress in this. And I think it's deserved. I think she did a phenomenal job in this movie. Oh, I think everybody did. I think every I think the cast here is, is a a game a oh absolutely a game a gentleman who did the music for this I think I've heard of him before Danny Elfman comes in and does the music I know I was surprised by that I was pretty impressed the music didn't necessarily make itself known to me as I watched the movie mm-hmm. uh, I noticed a lot of needle drops uh, yeah which, there, there what, was that which O Russell likes to do and uh, when I saw Elfman's name at the end I was thinking back to the movie and I didn't hear. Any Beetlejuice. I didn't hear any of the Batmans because he has a style, right? But knowing that it was Danny Elfman, I went, oh, okay, that's cool. What did you guys think of Bradley Cooper in this role? I thought he he also, we, just, we talked about all the actors that knocked it out of the park. He did an amazing job. I guess the reason why he was cast, and it makes perfect sense to me, is because he's one of those people who looks like he could just explode. He could go from happy to explosive angry at any second. It's like in his eyes. Yeah. Oh, Russell said he thought that Cooper and all of his other roles appeared to be angry and he was holding it in and that's what he needed for Pat. Yeah. And it was perfect. Yeah. He, oh. he played it perfectly. I, I agree. Mr. Robert De Niro. Of course. Right. Uh, I think he was one of my favorite characters because I love that. I love the type of Eagles fan he was because it. You know, makes me think of kind of how, how you are with the Broncos. <laughs> yeah, thanks for saying it, and not making me have to say it, John. Yeah. <laughs> but just the whole superstition, and we'll get into it later. But when he gets mad at Pat for them losing, I mean that—that's me. And then you have Chris Tucker, small role, but I enjoyed Chris Tucker in this. When I first saw that he was in the cast for this, my mind immediately went to every other Chris Tucker role. You know, Rush Hour fifth element and i'm thinking we're gonna get the crazy chris he was so reserved in this that i was actually impressed by him oh yeah he uh definitely he's definitely a good actor Mm -hmm. and i think that uh because of rush hour and the fifth element he kind of got uh put into this category even with friday right because friday is his breakout sure um but this was his chance to really show his chops and i thought i thought he was a delight well it's also interesting he's pretty sparing when he comes to signing on to a project, he doesn't do a whole bunch of stuff. And so having him in the movie is, I, I thought, refreshing because he's somebody that I don't get to see a lot of. And what's he going to bring to this performance? And so I, I appreciated him in this very much. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The film style in this movie, uh, I didn't, because really, I actually watched this movie twice over this last week. I didn't really catch it you know, right away. Because I thought, wow, it's so choppy. It's so chaotic. It's so just all over the place. And sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow. But then I realized, oh, that's supposed to represent their men- his mental illness. That's how he sees the world. Did you kind of get that from the filming style? Yeah. And it's, it's more of the editing. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's a combination of both. You're right. Uh, but I, I did notice that it's cut in a way that represents what's going on in Pat's head and how he sees the world. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of moments where uh, it's a slow pan or a slow tilt. And then there are other moments when we are moving the camera in a rapid pace. And yeah, it's it's cut brilliantly. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, representing the uh, bipolar, you have two major uh, 
symptoms. One is depression and the other is manic behavior. And then of those manic behaviors, we do, we do get to see some of these uh, expressed during the movie. One of the common things is a lack of sleep. And so we have him staying up all night reading the book that he finally throws out the window. And then, you know, when he has to find his wedding video at 3 a.m., right? And so uh, another problem that they can suffer from is an inflated sense of self-esteem. And so the fact that he's willing to say that everything could have a silver lining, uh, boy, that's that's a stretch. But, you know, that's that's a reach for him that he's willing to try to do. Another issue can be uh, an intense and inappropriate amount of speaking. So you say things that really shouldn't be said, right? And that is not unusual. Another issue can be an increase in, in, uh, in goal-directed activities. And so you're going to set a goal and you're going to be dogged about it and pursue it no matter what. And then the last one is anger, uh, any type of, uh, you know, aggression or irritability. And I think the reason why all of these things are so pronounced is because David O. Russell, I think this is something from his personal life that he had to deal with personally as well. And so this was close to his heart. David O. Russell, his own son, Matthew, uh, is bipolar and OCD. So that's one of the things that drew him to this movie, to this project. Which is also coincidentally something that drew Robert De Niro into it because he wanted to honor what was being brought forth in the movie in such a personal way for him, for David O. Russell to put all of this out for everybody. And he wanted to be a part of that and being respectful to having these sensitive personal things be something that can be conveyed honestly and hopefully optimistically. Well, my mom grew up with her mother being bipolar and mm-hmm. undiagnosed, and she would have moments where she would spend time in bed for like days, and then there'd be other moments that she would go out and shop and just buy all of these clothes that she never wore, and so they had racks of clothes uh, that she never did anything with. They were still in the plastic and everything, so when she passed away, they just, you know, they had a whole basement full of all the stuff that she had purchased and never worn, so she always talked about it, how you know, it was difficult, but it was also something that you got used to. Sure. Yeah, I found this movie to be a, a really dense watch because each one of these scenes just seemed to be so packed with with emotion. And having these characters go through this on a daily basis, it's it's got to be draining. But yeah, I definitely felt a heaviness to this movie. Oh, yes, agreed. There are some uh, downer moments for sure. Uh, but I think it's in the title, right? Silver linings. Do you guys believe in silver linings? Totally. I do when I'm not doing the podcast. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I am a true proponent of silver linings. I think that there could be silver linings in everything. Um, I know you said it's a stretch, and yes, of course there are things that, you know, maybe not. But I think in general, we should be able to find some good or some silver lining in everything we do. But... You know, that's just me. This movie is labeled a romantic comedy. The romantic, I think, is definitely in there. Comedy, yeah, there's some comedy in there, but I thought it was more of a dark comedy. So I almost thought it was like a dark romantic comedy. Would you agree or disagree? What makes it a dark comedy is the subject matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess I guess it could be a dark comedy. I don't. I wouldn't know if I would even classify it in the comedy genre. That's me. I, That's where I struggled. It, I, I think it's a drama, period. Yeah, 
And so do I. I think it's a drama. And it does it have comedic elements? Absolutely. Was I laughing out loud at some parts? Yes. But as far as a, a category and a genre, I don't. I personally, I don't think I would put it in comedy. So to answer your question, if I had to pick, dark comedy seems reasonable. Yeah, because I always figure like for dark comedies, you know, there are parts that are funny, but you almost feel a little guilty about laughing at those parts. And I kind of felt that in some ways in this movie of, is it appropriate to be laughing at his mental illness and his outbursts and things like that? And the things that, you know, Tiffany obviously has her own mental illnesses, or illness and her father does and all of them, even the brother in, is it appropriate to be? So I felt like that's what made it this dark comedy. Yeah, maybe I'll just say that I laugh all the time. So, well, you laugh at other people's misfortune, right? I'm every I'm, day. I'm just a dick. Yeah. So, Hey Don, do you know what time it is? What time is it? It's trivia time. In our continuing pursuit to determine the master of movie knowledge, I have prepared a series of questions Please wait until I've read the entire question before responding. In what year is this movie supposed to take place? 1990? No, it's uh, 2004. You are close. It's 2008, which you can tell because the scores of the Philadelphia games match up to exactly what's in the movie in the 2008 season. And I'm pretty sure... My favorite part of the movie is when they say, yeah, and the Eagles beat the Seahawks 24 to 17 or whatever it was. I knew you'd like that part. (laughs) Yeah. At the start of the film, Pat goes home to live with his parents after spending eight months in a psychiatric institution. Where was that institution located? Baltimore. Point goes to Don. I was just starting to say it. He beat me by (laughs) by one beat. Pat's encounter with Tiffany leaves him confused and unable to sleep. That night, he ransacks the house looking for something, causing an altercation with his parents and waking up the entire neighborhood in the process. What was he looking for? Wedding what a video. video. I think it goes to Ken. I was trying to like give you a little chance at that. That was perfect. Oh, so you're fixing this is what you're saying. We'll no wonder we're always in a fucking tie. During their date, Tiffany agrees to help Pat get the letter to Nikki, but she changes her mind after he insults her. How did he offend her? Called her a slut. Do you have a guess, Professor? I don't remember. He implies that she's crazier than him. Oh, that's oh, right. Oh, damn it. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Fuck. Okay. What two-word phrase does Pat use to, re- to refer to his separation from Nikki? Uh, uh, oh, uh, complicated love? You got anything, Professor? Mm-mm. A part-time. Oh, okay. Which book... Of Ernest Hemingway is Pat reading that he throws to the window. Farewell to arms. I I, I didn't know. (laughs) How much uh, does Pat and Tiffany score during the dance competition? Five. Wow, goes Professor. How many points did Pat Sr. give Randy for the game against the Cowboys and Eagles? Ten. Ten. Professor. Mm. I think at the I think he takes away the points as soon well, as they start doing the parlay. He gives it to him, but then he says, "No, no, no, I'm not going to get. I'm not going to take the points." Right, because they turn it into a parlay, so he doesn't really give him any points. If he oh. gave him any points, it would have been the line, which was three. So, how many did he offer him? Would that have been better? Probably. Okay. Probably. Professor's still ahead. Well, yeah, I know. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying the question's bullshit. But what's the name of Tiffany's ex-husband? Uh, Brad. Ted. Tommy. Tommy. And for the final question, who did Pat's wife Nikki 
have sex with? The history teacher. Yeah, he was a professor. professor, History professor. Colleague. Well, I put down that he was a history teacher with tenure. Because that's how Pat referred to him. Okay. But, yeah. I think you got it, you got it first, though, Don. Yeah. So going by my calculations, I think, Ken, you were the winner this round, which now puts you guys in a tie. Congratulations. Shocker. After eight months treatment in a mental health facility for bipolar disorder, Pat Salatano is released into the care of his parents, Pat Sr. and Dolores, at his childhood home in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. His primary focus is to reconcile with his ex-wife, Nikki. She has moved away and obtained a restraining order against him after Pat found her in the shower with another man and badly beat him. Pat's therapist, Cliff Patel, tries to convince him to keep taking his medication as a repeat of his violent outburst might send him back to the clinic. Pat tells him that he has a new outlook on life. He attempts to see the good, or silver linings, in all that he experiences. Meanwhile, Pat experiences a series of anxiety attacks. Pat attends dinner at his best friend Ronnie's house and meets Ronnie's sister-in-law, Tiffany Maxwell, a widow with an unnamed disorder. They connect, talking about different drugs they have taken to manage their mental illnesses. She tries to offer him casual sex, but Pat is focused on getting Nikki back. Trying to get closer to him, Tiffany offers to deliver a letter to Nikki if... In return, he partners with her in an upcoming dance competition. Pat agrees, and they start practicing over the following weeks. Starting to develop feelings for Tiffany, he tries to push them away. Pat believes the competition will be a good way to show Nikki he has changed. So this movie starts off with kind of a narration, and Bradley Cooper, I guess, is writing a letter. Uh, But then we kind of get a... um, I don't know if it's a montage, but it's an opening, right? Him at the facility, uh, working out, doing his thing, and then he's doing his push-ups, and mom comes. Did you catch that we never get the opening title anywhere in the movie until the very end? Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing I thought was interesting regarding the title of the movie is, I guess... The way that, you know, these movies sometimes translate in other languages. They have to come up with different titles. I guess the Russian title for this movie was My Boyfriend is a Psycho. The title in Thailand translates into Love You Like Crazy. And the French title is Happiness Therapy. I want to uh, point out how this movie opens. The, the opening shot that we get. We have a shot where we have our main character, and he has his back to us. And we're looking at the back of his head, and we are slowly zooming in. So it's like, you know, we're getting inside his head here, even though, you know, he's speaking out loud. And as he's doing this, he's facing the wrong direction. He is not facing us, the audience. He's facing away from us. And he's talking, I think, in a sense, that he's trying to make amends. However, this is done in a position of weakness, I think. And he is somebody that is, his goals are in the wrong direction. He's not going to achieve what he wants to achieve. And that's why he has his back to us, the audience like that. And in the end, this movie is showing this is all about him and what's going on inside his head. Yeah. All, all in this opening shot. Yeah. One thing that I appreciate about the setup of this film is that as you know, Dolores, his mother, is trying to get him 
you know, situ- get him basically out of the mental institution. You can hear all the people saying he's not ready. He's not ready. He needs to stay longer. And so we already know this movie is not going to go the way that, you know, the happiness and sunshine and everything. It kind of gave me a vibe of Little Miss Sunshine right early on, that this is not just going to be the perfect happy movie, that there are going to be problems from the start. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And the fact that per the court, he's okay to go, but per the doctors, they're like, eh, I don't think it's time yet, but mom's like, I'm going to do this anyway. She's adamant. Right. And so uh, mom picks him up. What would you guys think of the mom? You know, at first I thought, oh, she's making all kinds of mistakes. And, you know, how long is she going to be able to put up with this? But she was a trooper throughout the whole movie. She was so supportive of him and, you know, willing to take all that extra, you know, uh, you know, mental and physical abuse just to, you know, be there for her son. And I was impressed by the, the actress even and the role. I was curious what compelled her to pick this time in their lives that, she thought he should be back home with them. Maybe they were corresponding, uh, Pat and mom. And he was like, you know, I'm coming up on my date. I don't need to be here. I'm okay. And, and mom has unconditional love mm-hmm. for her son, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, and both of them do really, uh, Pat senior as well. And so I thought that, you know, after she springs him, I'm part of me is thinking, oh, are you ready for this? Are you, are you going to be able to handle this? And, you know, it starts off a little rocky, but, you know, we, 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 we ride the wave out. What did you think of the ongoing joke with Chris Tucker? Danny? <laughs> I Dan. love this. Hey, Mom, can we give Danny a ride to West Philly? And, she, she, and it's like he's 12, and you spring something mm-hmm. on your mom. Oh, can we pick up so-and-so? You know, like we used to do when we were kids, right? Yeah, I, I That's what that I thought of. from him, yeah. Yeah, and so they pick up Chris Tucker, Danny's character, who I thought was an absolute delight. Uh, but what makes this scene humorous to me is that... Danny has escaped. <laughs> well, that's that's the one, you know, one of the regrets I think I have in this movie uh, or negative comments is I almost wish they had kept, I mean, they did that joke for what, two, three times. I wish they had kept it going throughout the whole movie. Like at the end of the movie, you know, some people showed up because, oh yeah, Danny wasn't supposed to be out yet. And then just him keep escaping throughout the whole movie. Uh, yeah, but I, I think it's nice how they, how they round it out. Okay. I, I think it's, because he... You're rooting for Danny, right? You don't want him to have to always be looking over his shoulder. Uh, so in the second time, that was, that was funny We showed too. up at the house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, the first one, I appreciated how they segued him out of the car. You know, he's apologizing to the mother, and then he, he just fades from view to an empty back seat. That's a great transition. And so uh, mom and Danny get home and we are introduced to Robert De Niro. And I think all three of us have already said it. <laughs> Fucking De Niro, right? Uh, it's nice to see De Niro in a non-mob role. Mm-hmm. And a vulnerable person. And I think he played uh, this OCD father, avid Eagles fan. I thought he, I, I believed that's who he was. One of the impressions I got from, because, you know, I always try to guess kind of where the stories are going. And at first, it felt a little awkward to me about he was being kind of needy with Pat, that he, you know, he wanted to get Pat's attention constantly and come watch the game with me and all this stuff. And I kept thinking, is the father dying? Is there something wrong with the father besides the OCD? Is there something going on that they're not telling us? Yeah, I, I could see why you would think that. I thought of it kind of as guilt. Mm-hmm. that I'm sure 
Pat Sr. feels somewhat responsible uh, for Pat Jr. I mean, it's just natural for a parent to feel that. So I took it as him wanting to make up for lost time. And I get it. You know what I mean? So, And then we also briefly meet Randy, who is going to play a pivotal part in the latter part of this story. And I am almost certain that that actor has been in a mob movie with Robert De Niro. I, I think it's either... Uh, casino or the godfather but i'm not sure what i was thinking when you were mentioning that this is one of the first times we don't see him as a gangster but you notice he's kind of got some underworld ties here with this whole bookie thing yeah he's running numbers so they kind of you know they they're taking him that slowly out of that transition yeah i suppose and mom she seems to be i don't know she seems to be comfortable enough with it that she doesn't you know stick her nose up about it yeah but how did you guys feel about uh de niro not knowing that the yeah. wife went to pick up Pat. Yeah, that was, that was kind of, I don't know, man. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be okay with that. Right. I mean, because he's like. We uh, got to talk to each other about this. He says, I know what the courts say, but what did the doctor say? Right. He, go, he immediately goes to that question. And then Pat's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, dad, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And the father in him wants to believe it. And so now we find out that his whole goal, our character's goal, is to get back with his ex-wife, Nikki. Uh, because there was an incident, and he has this new outlook on life, right? Everything's going to have a silver lining. Excelsior. Right, right, which <laughs> which comes into play later, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny. But so now we cut to him. It's night, and he's reading, and he finishes the Ernest Hemingway book. And hates the ending. And he's like, what the fuck? And he throws it out the window, and he goes down, and he just starts just unleashing on his parents. All of his thoughts, all like of his emotions. I know, I know. What'd you guys think of that? I honestly thought uh, that first scene, he would have been going back to the hospital. You know, the parents should, you know, would see at that moment he is not ready to be out on his own. <laughs> wow, you have no patience, my man. <laughs> you wake me up at four in the morning, three a.m., whatever. Yeah, you yeah. got to go. Yeah. What'd you think? I thought that the scene was going to be the first of many that we were going to get like this, where he's going to have these explosive moments. And that is an undercurrent that is prevalent throughout the movie. Is this going to be one of these times where he just explodes with whatever it is of that moment? Because it certainly seems to be what this character is seemingly constantly having to struggle with. Right. And it's O. Russell's way of telling us, be prepared for anything with this guy. Did you? Because he could snap at any moment. Did you get what he was frustrated with the book about? Uh, the ending. He didn't like the ending. Was it? It's not a happy ending, right? Well, I think in his mind, you know, he wants this happy ending with him and Nikki getting back together. Right. And in the book, doesn't the wife die or something like that? At I the believe very she end? does. Yeah. And so they don't get the happy ending with the couple, and so that was anti what his whole goals were. Right. Yeah. He didn't like the ending. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get it. No one. Want, no one wants a, a sad ending. Yeah. So we get a visit to the doctor's office and he goes to visit Dr. Patel and Dr. Patel has unbeknownst to Pat and the rest of the people waiting out in the waiting room. How is he going to react to this trigger of this Stevie wonder song being played? And it's my Cherie. And next thing you know, he gets a little crazy. And what's weird is when he comes up and he hears the song and he's talking to the gal and he's like, did, did uh, Dr. Patel do this on purpose? Is someone fucking with me? Right? I'm thinking, oh my God, this dude is fucking crazy. Why on earth would anyone do that? But come to find out that the doctor actually did it? 
fucking kind of blew me away a little bit. Yeah, agreed. And, and you know, Pat goes in and he tosses all the magazines around and he has a violent episode. I mean, let's, I mean, it's aggressive, it's yep. violent, let's not sugarcoat it, right? It, it is an episode. So apparently uh, Patel's plan backfired? Well, I'm surprised, again, you know, like the outburst at three or four in the morning, that the doctor witnessing his outburst in the waiting room didn't just write down that, you know, he he's ready to go back to the institution. This showed us right away that this doctor really is on his side. Oh, yeah. He he, he had to trigger him, and then they have to talk about it because mm-hmm. you you can't solve an issue. I won't call it a problem. You you can't solve an issue without talking about it and, and coming to a conclusion, right or wrong or uh, fixed or not fixed. You still got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then it is revealed to us, the audience, what the story was right we see the flashback yes and uh he basically beats the shit out of this guy because he loses his temper i mean he he even says it i almost beat this guy to death it's my wedding song wedding song while they were in the shower yeah i mean okay mrs pat kind of a dick move right even if you think you're you know i'm not even gonna get into it but dick move right but we find out why this is so much of a trigger and and we also find out that he's not taking his meds. Yeah. And yep. why is he not taking his Cause meds? Because he doesn't like the way they make him feel foggy and bloated. And he's he's just absolutely refusing it. Yeah. And I think he, I don't know if he says it here or he says it maybe to Tiffany later. They also make him feel ashamed. So he's a little bit of ashamed of his. I, I, I think that's later. And uh, But we also get it in the opening, the montage thing. The, the, he takes a pill, he walks in, he spits it out. Yeah. So we know that he's not taking his meds. Mm-hmm. Which... You know, we can see with the 3 a.m. outburst and the magazine outburst right away. And now it's game day. We get to see first of several Sunday football games and how manic, how obsessed the family is with the Philadelphia Eagles. I can't imagine a family being that obsessed with a football team. I, I just can't. I can't see it. But I guess Bradley Cooper in real life is just a huge Philadelphia Eagles yeah. fan. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. yeah. So and listeners... Awesome. Uh, uh, Mr. Don, he is being sarcastic because this is his family. Hey, don't. <laughs> I say, look around the room. Uh, what'd you guys think of this whole bit, this whole game? I enjoyed it. So did I. Uh, you know, De Niro's all, he's got his superstitions. He's got his remotes all have to face a certain way. And he's got his handkerchief and, you know, he's ready for the Eagles and he's begging and pleading with Pat, stay and watch this game with me, stay and watch this game with me, you know. And I can't tell you how many Bronco games I've watched where somebody will move or somebody will leave and the, uh, the tone of the game changes and I blame them. I did appreciate during this scene that we are given the impression at least all of the males in the family have some mental disorder, some mental illness. I buy that too, and it's not until we meet the brother later that it confirms it yeah. for me a little bit. But yeah. we know that De Niro has his OCD, and we know how Pat is. Yeah, and when we we do meet the brother later, we get to see that I think he's probably diagnosed with narcissism. So Pat heads off for his run, and he decides to visit a few of his haunts, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, touches base with a couple of people. I like when he gets to the school and they're like, you can't be here. Oh, my God. That's so funny because he's so excited, right? He's all, I'm getting better. I'm I'm ready to come back. And everyone's fucking afraid of him. And come on. A little bit of you would probably be afraid of him too, right? Yeah, because you're in a mental place. And then I see you and you're wearing a garbage bag. 
Yeah, and and I and I understand why that's off putting, but that's actually a thing. So it, it I, is. Yeah, I know. It is. Well, they also said that he almost beat that history professor to death. Yeah. So obviously yeah. the guy got put in the hospital. Uh, but yeah, they'd probably be pretty afraid of him. Yeah, uh, but it's funny. He tells you know I'm ready to come back. He and and uh, Nancy's just like, can you just leave? You know. So he takes off and he runs, and then he runs over to his friend Ronnie's house. We get Ronnie and Veronica, and Veronica's played by Julia Stiles. I haven't yeah. seen Julia Stiles in a movie in a while, and I'm surprised how like a small role she was in. Yeah. Uh, what'd you guys think of this interaction with, uh, Ronnie and, uh, Pat, you know, he's like, come over and dinner. It's so good to see you. I've missed you, man. I, I kind of had to have Julie explain it to me of what the connection is between Ronnie, Veronica and Nikki, how, you know, how this whole thing works. And Julie came up with the idea of maybe it was like a couple's type relationship where these two couples would hang out. Pat and Nikki and Ronnie and Veronica. And that's how they were friends. And when their marriage fell apart, Ronnie was still friends with Pat. And Veronica's still friends with Nikki. Yeah, I, I, I got that right away. Did you? Um, yeah, it's their friend group. And, you know, there there is some awkwardness there. And Pat's like, uh, Veronica hates me, so I don't know what you're talking about. And then, you know, she sticks her head out the window. Did you ask him to dinner? And so he reluctantly agrees. And he's going to go have dinner at Ronnie and Veronica's. And then when he gets back home after his run, the police show up. Respect the restraining order. Yeah, because he, he ran by Nikki's house, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, this and cop, the school. This cop that keeps showing up, you know, just, just respect the restraining order. You know, I kept trying to think, you know, who's going to be the antagonist in this movie? Who's going to be the bad guy? And I thought, oh, it's probably going to be this police officer. But really, he seemed like he was on Pat's side most of the time because he wasn't taking, you know, Pat to jail. He wasn't, you know, saying he needs to go back to the institution. He was kind of saying, you know, back off a little bit, Pat. Yeah, he was he was giving him the benefit of the doubt and he didn't yeah. want to see him go back and he would hate to have to take him back because... Who is the protagonist in this film? Well, it's Pat. Right. Who is the antagonist in this film? Probably Pat. It's Pat. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was so, the, the mental illnesses that he's dealing with. I mean, you can label it all you want, but at the end of the day, it's still Pat. Yeah. Right. It's dinner time with Ronnie and Veronica, and we meet Tiffany. Well, I love the fact that he shows up in his Eagles jersey, and Veronica, if was it Ronnie first says something like, oh, you showed up in the jersey? Veronica's not going to like that. And then you hear Veronica, he showed up in the jersey? Well, yeah, well, uh, Pat says that. He oh, goes, because he, he's going to turn around and go change, yeah. right? He's going to leave. And Ronnie comes to the door and goes, where are you going? He goes, I fucking wore a jersey, dude. I shouldn't have worn it. And, uh, <laughs> and Ronnie's such a... Uh, such a friend, right? Dude, I love the jersey. I think it's a great jersey. Who is it? Deshaun. Deshaun's the man. You know what I mean? And so uh, they go to dinner, and you're right. Veronica hates the jersey. Everybody hates the jersey. But this is also where we get to meet Tiffany, Jennifer mm -hmm. Lawrence's character. And she, I got it. She's the sister to Veronica. And I think that she pretty much steals this movie. She really does. Uh, so deserving of that award of Best Actress. Uh, I bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. And I do feel like his first response to meeting Tiffany is kind of how, like, Don, you like to meet people. Doesn't he just blurt out, so your husband's dead? Oh, my gosh. It's so... Oh, no, yeah. Uh, they're like, uh, Tommy died, but we don't talk about it. And, she wa and Tiffany walks in and goes, who died? And <laughs> uh, Cooper's just like, uh, Tommy. You know, they're just talking about her dead husband. And, ever, and from that moment... He kind of always brings it up. 
because mm-hmm. he has no filter. He even tells her, I have no filter. And then mm-hmm. right after that, it's, oh, so why did you get fired then? Right. And so it's a short-lived dinner because Tiffany gets offended and has to leave and has to excuse herself. And, you know, we know right away that something going on with Tiffany, right? And we learn to find out that it's the trauma and probably other stuff that goes unnamed. Well, it's unnamed, but it is. it was diagnosed, I think, in the book or at least by the director. She has borderline personality disorder. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It was a fun moment when they were... Uh, going back and forth about their meds. I thought that was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's something that they connected on and something that they felt open enough to share with each other, even though the outside world would be going, my God, you take all those fucking pills? Because to a lot of people, pills are the devil. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's it's a good moment. It's it's a bonding moment, and we're going to find out later that was the moment. It's, so It's a linchpin. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So Tiffany's pissed off. She wants to walk home and he looks at, uh, and she looks at Pat and says, are you going to walk me home? And Pat's like, what the fuck? <laughs> the The night ends in a rather confusing way. She, she offers him some sex, but he declines because of Nikki. And then right after that, they hug and then she slaps him. Yeah. I did it. Make signals. Yeah. yeah, I did appreciate it. And we're kind of seeing some of Nikki's issues of, well, you know, you can have sex with me, but the lights have to be off. It was it was only because of the fucking jersey. That's the only the reason jersey? why. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the only reason she why she would take the lights off. She didn't want to see the jersey at all. Oh, I would. <laughs> I would have taken off the fucking jersey after the uh, the two part at the end of the night. Then we are brought to three a.m. and he has to find his wedding video. And next thing you know, there is a fight. It's because. Tiffany freaked him out with the offer that tempted him that now he's got to remember everything about Nikki and focus on Nikki. Right. So he goes and he tries to find this wedding video at three o'clock in the morning. And oh, his poor parents, the poor neighbors. I mean, he's just going fucking, I don't want to say Well, he, he accidentally clocks his mother. He gets into a fist fight with his father. I'm surprised with all the bruises and cuts on his face when that officer shows up. Again, he didn't take Pat away. He yeah. basically just said, okay, well, calm it down. Yeah, I thought for sure that because of the bruising and the fact that he hit his mom accidentally, but, I mean, still hit her, yeah. uh, that he would have at least gotten taken away. Yeah. But, uh, no, the cop is just... I, I got the impression that he's got to have some sort of history with the family, that, that the family know him and his family, you know, that the two families know each other or something like that. The fact that he's willing to be... He's willing to give Pat a longer leash. Yeah. It's like he's from the neighborhood or something. Or something high school friends. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of uh, Pat Sr. running across the street after the guy that was filming? Oh, I thought that was funny. So Pat, this whole time, just wants to talk to Nikki, right? Even though there is a restraining order, he writes her a letter, and he's trying to figure out a way to get it to Nikki. And is it Tiffany who offers? Well, initially, we have a suggestion by Dr. Patel. Dr. Patel suggests that perhaps Tiffany could be a way to show Nikki that he is becoming a better person. Right. And that's why he should consider pursuing some sort of, some sort of a relationship with Tiffany for the hope of it can show him to be a better, stronger person. Right. Right. And so Tiffany's like, I can totally give you, or I can totally give Nikki that letter. You know, even though it's against the restraining order and breaking the law, I'll do that if 
you do the stance competition yeah, with what, me. What's in it for me? Right. right. Well, and we also have several little uh, moments where we get to see them running together. <laughs> like she's almost stalking him. That is so funny. She always darts right in front of him. You and know, I love the, his reactions. Yeah. And the first time it's like, uh, why are you following me? I'm not following you. I'm jogging. This is my street. This is my neighborhood. Well, this is my route. You know, it's, it's back and forth. It's mm. back and forth. There's a moment where we get a needle drop and this piece of music, uh, is a moment that I love where I hear it in the other movie. It's in Baby Driver. So they decide to go out to dinner together. Sort of. Sort of. Oh, that's right. He stops at the diner and goes, do you want to have dinner with me here? And well, she's like, pick me up at seven. I don't remember if it was Patel or someone mentioned to him, uh, well, maybe if you help Tiffany, that'll help you with Nikki. And I think that was what the doctor had said. So that's why he decides to ask her out, not to go on a date, but to try to help her. Right. Uh, to become friends. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. Um, needle drops real quick. Uh, some of the needle drops on this were fantastic. And one of the groups that I really wanted to mention was Alabama shakes. Do you guys ever listen to Alabama shakes? Uh, uh, uh it's fucking fantastic. What do you think of their date with, was he eating raisin bran? Raisin bran. And she it, got some tea, which yeah. sounded good. I don't like raisin bran. Me neither. You know, I used to hate it when I was younger. I used to scoop all kinds of sugar on it and all that, but you know, I actually like it now. You know I'm, why? Cause I'm old. Cause he's getting old. Give me some fucking Fruit Loops, baby. Yeah. And so we have Nikki agreeing that she can take the letter to Nikki. Until. She wants something in return. Well, during this whole date, you know, date, not date thing, you know, he, she agrees to do it without any uh, conditions or anything. But then he starts, they start talking and comparing, you know, who's crazy and who's crazier than who. And he starts saying, well, you're, of course, crazier than I am. And she freaks out. And she's like, I'm not going to do the letter thing. Right, and I'm she done. takes off, and he, and he chases her down. And, you, and then it turns into, okay, if I'm so much fucking crazier than you, then, okay, I'll do this, but what are you going to do for me? Yeah. And I knew instantly. I mean, fuck, everybody knew instantly it was going to be about the dance competition. Yeah. But she also makes a point, and I don't know if this is a sim, you know symbolism of her getting a little bit healthier. She makes a point of, I'm always doing things for other people and never getting anything in return. I want something in return now. Yeah. Well, I just, I really, it, I really appreciated the the uh, the machine gun fire of brutal honesty that she throws at Pat. She she says, "You're afraid to be alive. You're afraid to live. You're a hypocrite. You're a conformist. You're a liar." She just bam, 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 bam. She's constantly calling him on his shit. You know, yeah. and, and that's what I liked about her as well. And even when he goes back and he calls her a slut and this, that, and the other, and he and she's one of my favorite lines of hers is, "Yeah, I did all that." Uh, and sometimes I'm, sometimes my life is messy and uh, dirty, and but I like that part of myself, and I can accept that part of myself, and along with all the other parts. And she looks right at him and she says, "Can you?" You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. she's always calling him on his shit. I mm -hmm. did find, you know, again, talking about the dark comedy and, you know, the whole darkness of this movie, when she's describing the fact of how she got fired or why she got fired, that it's like, you know, I, I slept with, you know, everyone at the office. And he's like, everyone? She's like, yeah, yeah, everyone. Even the women? Well, yeah, there were two of them. Yeah, and then it devolves into some lesbian sex talk. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. And it's, he's just, he's like, well, Nikki never let me talk about this stuff. Right, right. And, you know. And there, there are relationships out there like that. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, 
she ends up yelling in a crowd of people, get away from me. And next thing you know, it's an incident. And here's the police again. Yeah, but this time she defends him. She does. She comes to his rescue, which good for her. Right. I mean, cause he, he was just trying to understand, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, right. it's that situation's gotta be hard. So I, I just thought it was good. How in this moment we get to hear Stevie wonder starting to play again, but she forces him back from the ledge because yeah, it's yes. all in his head that he's hearing it. Right. And she knows this. Right. And so she tells him, you know, turn off the song or stop listening to the song mm-hmm. or don't pay attention or whatever mm-hmm. she says. Yeah. Well, an interesting point about this, this scene is that, you know, of other people all around, nobody is seeing the signs that he's having some kind of anxiety, panic attack. It takes someone with a similar condition who's been through similar trauma as he has to spot this is exactly what's going on with him. He's hearing something in his head. There's something that's making him anxious. And she was probably the only one in that at that time in that situation who could talk him off the ledge. Well, yeah, but she's the only one that knows. Exactly. So that's kind of their showing their connection. Their bonding is really building. Yeah. Pat Sr., hoping to open his restaurant, has resorted to illegal bookmaking. Having bet most of his money on the Philadelphia Eagles game, he asks Pat to attend the game for good luck. So Pat asks Tiffany for time off from practice to attend the game. She gives him a typed reply from Nikki, which cautiously hints they may be able to reconcile. Before entering the stadium, Pat and his brother Jake get into a fight with some racist fans and are hauled away by the police. The Eagles lose the game, and Pat Sr. is furious. When Pat Sr. claims that the Eagles lost because of Tiffany being involved in Pat's life, she refutes his allegations by pointing out that the Philadelphia team has done better whenever she and Pat were together. Convinced, Pat Sr. makes a parlay with Randy If the Eagles win the next game and Tiffany and Pat score 5 out of 10 in their dance competition, he will win back double the money he lost on the first bet. Pat is reluctant, so Tiffany, Dolores, and Pat Sr. conspire to persuade him to dance in the competition, telling him Nikki will be there. Noticing that the letter from Nikki also refers to reading the signs, a phrase frequently used by Tiffany, he realizes that Tiffany wrote the letter. So, you know, throughout this movie, we get the subplot of the Philadelphia Eagles and how uh, De Niro thinks that Pat is the key to them winning, which, you know, is such a is such a fan thing to do. He begs Pat, you know, he he tells Pat that he's going to open a restaurant and they're he's going to win the money on this Eagles game. But in order for this to happen, he's got to go to the Eagles game. And And why can't Pat Sr. go to the game? Because oh, because he's been banned for all the fights that for, he's... For life, for beating up other fans. That's right. That's right. And I guess Philly is notorious for that, mm-hmm. the Philadelphia Stadium. I think they have their own jail. In the meantime, we've gotten a couple of instances of Pat and Tiffany dancing, mm-hmm. and they're kind of working it out and practicing their routine, and they're, they're building the rapport. And so, and we find out that Tiffany fucking hates football, which comes back shortly here and and is pretty funny but pat goes to her and says you know i need some time off can i want to spend half the day with you and then half the day going to the eagles game with my dad and she's fucking not having it we also get at some point during their whole dances things that she tells him the truth about what happened with tommy and i thought that was very moving 
her kind of telling how Tommy died and that she's, you know, he keeps bringing up the fact your husband's dead, your husband's dead. The fact that she shares this thing with him that's so personal. I just, I thought that scene was a really touching scene to me. Well, I think that she, she's the one that reaches out first, right? Mm -hmm. She's the one that, I guess you could say that she's pursuing him and letting him in. That's a better mm -hmm. way of saying it. She's the one that's letting him in so he'll let her in. And you're right. The This bit where she does tell him, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and well, again, Jennifer Lawrence does such a great job. Well, the two biggest, like, scenes that really moved me in this, well, there's actually three scenes, but was this scene and the scene where she fell in love with him when he shows up at her parents' house to talk to her. And she's kind of hiding around the corner and another guy shows up who she had basically texted for sex and he stood up for her and said, this is not what she's about. This is not what she needs. She needs someone who listens and someone cares about her, blah, blah, blah. You know, and he walks the guy out very calmly and very nicely instead of just throwing him off the porch, walks him calmly. And you could see that this is where something clicked inside of her that she started to fall for him. Oh, sure. And even her parents too, right? Yeah. Well, and... What also happens in this moment, he's giving that broken wing speech about how he's trying to make himself better and stronger. And with this, he is telling Tiffany without telling Tiffany and because he doesn't know that she's right around the corner. And she is able to hear these honest words from him about how she is potentially, you know, making him a better person because of who she is and how she's spending time with him. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really touching moment to have in the movie that she is able to see, you know, unfiltered, this is how he thinks and feels about her. Yeah. Sure. And absolutely. that she's worth more than just a quick fuck. Right. Right after this, it's game day, and we get to meet Jake, the brother. And right away, I'm thinking, nah, he's not really right either. The way he is just turning the screws, yeah. twisting the screws. Even De Niro says, quit telling him how good you're yeah. doing and how bad he's doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, you lost your wife. I'm getting married. You know, you have this, I have that. Yeah. Completely narcissistic. Yeah, very. Yeah. And then we have that, that moment where Pat is just staring at him and you're thinking, what are the next words that are coming out of his mouth? And the family is waiting. What is he going to say? And what does he do? I've got nothing but love for you, brother. And gives him a hug. You know, and even whether it's genuine or not, and I think it's genuine. I think mm -hmm. that he's finally just, you know, accepting. Because in life, guys, we just have to accept people how they are. You know, you're not going to change anybody. And that's how his brother is. And the fact that Pat is saying, I got nothing but love for you, just means that he can look past it all. And at the end of the day, that is his brother and that is his family. And he loves him. And you can mm -hmm. even see it in Dolores' well, reaction. You can also see, you know, Everyone was expecting for an angry outburst for him not to be able to control himself. And the moment he did say, nothing but love for you, the family looks at him, I think, almost in a different way of maybe he is healing. Maybe he is getting better. Sure. Sure. Fun fact, Chris Ducker, he was in Heavy D's music video, I've Got Nothing But Love For You. Ah, I wonder if that was an improv line, maybe? I don't know, but it, it worked well for that. Because Chris Tucker's at the house at this he's point, at right? He's at the house, he along, has, along with Ronnie. He's a second escape, I think. He's escaped again. <laughs> right, 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 right. 
The police show up again. That's right. And he goes, oh, we're not here for you this hey, time, Pat. We're here for Danny. He's not going anywhere. Just let him watch the rest of the game. Oh, my, yeah, because they're winning. Yeah. Uh, are they beating the Seahawks at this point? I think, I think they're so. beating the Seahawks. Oh, and Danny, he's holding the remotes, you know. He's holding the remotes <laughs> elevated, you know, yeah. about shoulder height. No, because that's what he, that's what Pat Senior really wants. Danny has to keep holding the remotes. Yeah. After this, we are taken to Tiffany's place, and we get to see her little studio setup that she has out in the garage. That little studio setup just looked so adorable, and I thought that it was a very intimate setting. And then from there, that's where we get that exchange that John was speaking of a few moments ago, where she is asking him to walk over to her like she is Nikki, and he wants her to he wants him to convey everything in that walk without talking and to walk slowly. And then he gets there. That's a feeling. I didn't feel anything. And then she comes back with the bit about sharing about how Tommy dies. And what is so beautiful about that moment after the reveal of Tommy being dead is how the camera moves after that, because it's a quarter swing turn and we are no longer looking at him pretty much front on, but instead we swing over to the side, which is telling us he has, she has shifted his focus away from Nikki to her, and now he is looking at life differently. Well, and she made him have a feeling. And when the camera turns and he's staring off thinking about it, you could see that he felt it, and she says, now that's a feeling. The next shot, they're sitting facing each other, and we don't zoom in on them. Instead, we zoom in on the mirror. And I thought zooming in on the mirror great shot. is showing us, the audience, how these feelings are starting to come to be, but they're not genuine yet. That's why we went to the mirror and not to them directly. Sure. There is a dancing montage that happens and then it comes close to maybe a kiss, but finally it culminates with Nikki's letter shows up. And she decides to give it to him for him to read. Well, the first thing was is that she wasn't going to let him see the letter until he got the big move down or something like that. And he's like, I can't focus on anything else until I hear what that letter says. And so with the letter being read, he sees that there is possibly a chance for some sort of redemption that they maybe might be able to get back together. Yeah, He has to show her that he has changed and the way that uh, it's written, it's like almost perfect. You can show her by doing this dance, by showing her that you can accomplish something. Right. But he can't do the move. And after he reads the letter, he's done. And so he leaves. Did you ever get what the move was? I, I was trying to figure I didn't know if it was a dirty dancing. That's, or... what I th- that's what I think it was, but maybe it could be. It's probably left up to interpretation. Yeah. But the first thing I thought of was the dirty dance move. I guess uh, reading some of the behind the scenes stuff, uh, Jennifer Lawrence had to learn how to dance. She wasn't a very good dancer, so she had to learn. All of that is actual Jennifer Lawrence. Bradley Cooper is apparently a really good dancer, so he had to kind of dumb it down to look like he wasn't a very good dancer. And so now we're at the game. It's game day. Well, what what were the rules that were set? For what? For uh, for Pat Jr. going to the game, that Pat Sr. set some rules of things he was not allowed to do. Two I things. I don't remember what. He wasn't allowed to drink, and he wasn't allowed to fight. Oh, right, right. So didn't like the first thing he gets there and... Uh, his brother, what was his brother's name? Jake. Jake's friends. Oh, this is your brother who got out of the wacky band? Yeah. 
Yeah, they kind of give him a hard time about it. And, you know, Pat just kind of lets it roll off his back. You can kind of see it bothers him a little bit, but he's playing it off. Yeah, and they give him a drink right away. Yeah. And so uh, this bus pulls up, and they represent the the Indian Philadelphia Eagles fan. And I fucking loved that Pat's therapist was in that group. I thought it was, that was so, it was such a nice little touch, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They got to bond as peers and Eagles fans, and it wasn't a patient doctor right. situation. I love how the doctor even put it to him because uh, Pat kept saying, I'm not supposed to see you outside the office. That's the rules. And he goes, Well, you're not seeing me as a therapist today. You're seeing me as a brother. Right, right. And so, of course, you get the racist assholes that come up and make a beef. And this whole time, I'm thinking, Oh, fuck, Pat's going to, he's totally going to defend the doctor. He's totally going to go after him. Right. Yeah. But um, I think somewhere in there, while they're fighting, the doctor tells Pat, Don't. Just- well, Ronnie, Ronnie says to him right before they go in that, Pat, you can't fight. You cannot get involved in this. And something, I don't know if Jake says it too, but yeah, even the doctor, like, you, you can't fight. And so he's standing back and you could tell he wants to get in there and defend. The fight ends up happening and Pat didn't start any of it, but he got into it at the end. And unfortunately, that's what the police saw. Yeah. He threw some serious punches though. Uh, when that guy was going down, I mean, of all the people fighting, like he saw his brother and the doctor getting beat down. Uh, he comes in and he just pounds the guy. Yeah, well, he's got a fucking temper, man. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, Tiffany, she's pissed because he's supposed to be at rehearsal. Even though he asked for the time off, she said no. Yeah. But he chose to do the game anyway. And he's late now because he gets arrested. Right. Right. And causes bad juju. And the Eagles lose. Yeah. I, I love this bit because, you know, De Niro's like, I asked you for one thing, one thing. Now we've lost all this money. What the fuck am I going to do? Blah, 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 blah. And has he's a pissed frickin', off. He has a freaking meltdown. He d- absolutely. You know what I mean? And he he's blaming his son for the Eagles lost, which any rational person will tell you doesn't make any sense. But as a fan, I completely get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so Tiffany comes over. She shows up right in the middle of this shit show. And this is probably... I think this might be one of my favorite scenes. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Pat Sr. is like, you, we started losing because you started hanging out with her and blah, blah, blah. And and Tiffany's like, uh, She throws no. it right back. And she starts rattling off these statistics and it's... The scores for each of the games. It's so fun. And I love how she ends it off with, oh, how do you know all that? I did some research. Yeah. I mean, such a good scene. Absolutely. This is where... Something kind of confusing happened for me, and I don't know if you guys can explain it to me. Uh, Pat makes it sound like this is the first time he's ever really met Tiffany or knows he doesn't know anything about Tiffany. But when Tiffany, Pat Sr., and Dolores end up in the kitchen, it's revealed that the reason why Tiffany knew when Pat was out running, Pat Jr. was out running, was because Dolores was tipping him off or tipping her off. Yeah. That, yeah, that was a fun moment. So yeah. how did that whole thing start? Was Dolores just trying to find a friend for Pat Jr. to help him kind of through his whole process? Or was she trying to help them get together? Or what What was going on? with Like, how long had that been going on? I think it was something between Tiffany and, um, and Mom. The exclamation point at the end of this triumphant moment for Tiffany was when she says, does anybody know what the official seal of the state of New York is? I just love that. Huh? Anybody? Do you? Do you know? <laughs> They're right there. 
Excelsior! Yeah, and uh, how are you gonna be Look an Eagles up. fan? Yeah, are you gonna be an Eagles fan stating uh, what's on the New York Seal when they're playing the New York Giants? Mic drop moment. Everybody in the room is silent. And I love De Niro's re- uh, reaction. Mm. He does the De Niro nod. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. starts liking her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not so bad. Yeah. And then so uh, he comes up with a new idea to get his money back. This. This is where a little bit another issue I have with this movie, and it was I think it might have been worded wrong when we read the plot here, in that it wasn't him trying to win back double his money. It was a double or nothing bet, which is basically if I lose, you get double. If I win, I owe you nothing. See, that's how I took it, that he will lose that amount a second time, or they will just be even, and then no money is lost or gained necessarily. Yeah. And what bothers me about that is later on in the movie, when, of course, you know, big spoiler, they win the bets, the parlay bet, uh, he says, well, now I have enough money for the restaurant. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. You just basically won back the money that you were trying to get for, you know, you didn't double your money. You just got back what you would have lost. So, so it was like the, it, it never happened. Yeah, he was basically back at the point that he still needed money for the restaurant. So that's where I was kind of confused by some of the stuff in the ending. Now, he got the money. Um, I, they might have used the term double or nothing wrong, but what they were, what was happening was they were still, he was still putting down. He was going to have that bet again, but he was going to come out instead of under, he was going to come out over. Right. Yeah. So it, it's basically double of the first bet. So whatever he bet the first time that he lost, he's going to take the second amount and he's going to put it up as a bet again. Mm-hmm. And which means Randy's going to lose all that. Well, right. I do like, I appreciate that here, you know, Tiffany has become almost part of the family, especially when she calls Randy out of, you know, you like taking money from people. You're just a dick. You just, you know, you did this to my dad all the time. You get off on it. Yeah. And, you know, she's standing up for all of them, basically saying, here's how it's going to need to be. This is how we're going to get the money back. And I love how the, the gambling aspect kind of takes over here. So they're talking about the game. The point spread is like three points in... Um, and, and and Pat Sr. is so convinced that they're going to win, uh, that the Eagles are going to win, he's giving them, I'll give you 10 points, take this bet, take this bet. And Randy's like, eh. But then they start talking about the dance competition and how this thing is scored. And I started to think to myself, <laughs> that's such a gambler thing to do, right? And so uh, they find out that, you know, that you get an average score, the best score is... 10 and some people are good some people are not so good are you guys good yeah (laughs) yeah and so they come up with five and so they make it a parlay and so a parlay bet is a number of bets that you make but you have to win all of your bets in order to win the entire bet so the eagles have to win by three and pat and tiffany have to score at least a five five or better to win both bets. But yeah, Pat says, fuck this. I'm not going to do it. He's trying to be responsible. Yeah. Or, or it might be too money. much pressure. Yeah. Right. Maybe that, that, that's maybe that too. Yeah. And so, uh, is this where Tiffany says something to Pat of read the signs? Yeah, she does. And, uh, prior to all of this, uh, we, we read the letter, right. Uh, Nikki's response letter. And in there it said, read the signs. And so, uh, he runs out the door 
And you see something dawns on him. Right. And he realizes, wait, what did she, what did Tiffany just say? She said, read the signs. And then he pulls out the letter. He looks at the letter. letter it says, read the signs. It's not handwritten. And he, well, I knew, I knew as soon as the letter came in that A, she never sent it and B, she wrote it. That's mm-hmm. what I kind of think too. Nikki, it never probably even knew that there was a letter. Oh yeah. I, I, I knew that the instant this whole thing went down. So it didn't surprise me that this happened. I was surprised by the reaction because he kept looking back a little bit, trying to, you know, you see it dawning on him. And I thought the first reaction would be being upset that she wrote the letter and she lied to him. Well, this shows his growth. Yeah. Again. This shows him processing it, dealing with it. And, you know, we'll see what happens because at the same time, Mom, Dad, and Tiffany come up with this brilliant idea. They hatch a plan. To get him to do to the competition. Yeah, they lie to him. They say Nikki's totally going to be there. So he says, okay. And I do like that, you know, Nikki or Tiffany at first is like, no, I don't want to lie to him. I don't, I don't want to do this. It was her idea. I thought it was... Uh, no, Mom doesn't want to lie to him. Oh, the parents what? were reluctant. Okay, then I have... Pat Sr. wasn't. Right. So just mom. Mom was oh. reluctant. It was Tiffany's idea. Pat Sr. jumps immediately on board because he's thinking about the bet, thinking mm-hmm. about the money. And mom's like, eh, but she goes along with it anyway. Mm-hmm. But ironically enough, it's all for naught because he knows that Tiffany wrote the letter. What follows is a little montage of dance practices, and we're in the Christmas season now. Is this where Danny shows up again and gives them some dance ideas? Yeah, yeah, dance yeah. and he's out again. Yep, yep, and uh, he's dancing with Tiffany, and you know they're they're kind of getting into it a little bit, and, and uh, I thought it was cute that Pat immediately walks up and pushes him aside because um, Danny goes in and grabs her hips, and they're dancing, right? Right. And, but Pat doesn't like that. Did, and, uh, no. And they do a really good job of specifically telling us that. Tiffany, Pat, and their friends and family arrive at the competition on the night of the football game. Tiffany despairs when she sees Nikki in the audience. Invited by Ronnie and his wife, Veronica, they want Nikki to lift her restraining order on Pat and give him the chance to reconcile. Tiffany starts to drink heavily at the bar. Pat finds Tiffany moments before their dance and drags her onto the dance floor. They begin the routine as the Eagles defeat the Cowboys. After their set, Tiffany and Pat receive an average score of exactly five points. Amid cheers from friends and family and confused looks from the crowd, Pat approaches Nikki and whispers into her ear. When Tiffany sees this, she runs off, so Pat leaves Nikki and chases her. He hands her a letter, in which he admits to knowing she forged the letter. He confesses that he loved her from the moment he met her, though it took him a long time to realize it. They share a kiss... Pat Sr. opens a restaurant with the money he has won, and Pat and Tiffany begin a relationship, no longer wearing their wedding rings. Roll credits. So it's competition night, and... Holy shit, Nikki does show up. And and I saw it coming, you know what I mean? They had to build the, the drama a little bit, but what makes it even a little bit more squishy is Tiffany didn't invite her. Correct. But... Since Veronica and Ronnie are friends with Nikki, they thought they would help. And yes, Nikki does show up. Well, Ronnie, again, quotes when Tiffany comes up and says, what the hell are you doing? Why are you trying to ruin my life? Ronnie quotes what Pat Jr. had said to him at the football game, which is, you do everything you can to make a marriage work. And so she then assumes, oh, no matter what I do or what I say, he's always going to be trying to get Nikki back. Maybe. 
I think that's what sets her off and sends her to the bar because she hears Pat's words coming from Ronnie. Yeah, I buy that. And at the same time, we also see that Pat now sees Nikki in the crowd with Ronnie and Veronica. And he plays it off. He takes a deep breath and he says to himself, we have to focus. We have not only just the competition to do, but we got to score five or better. (laughs) There was something that I didn't catch the first time through watching this movie, but there was a big hint to us that Pat Jr. had moved on. Did you catch the hint? That he didn't acknowledge her when they sat down? No, he, it was the first time in the movie he was not wearing his wedding ring. Wait, you saw that? Yep. I didn't see it the first time, but then when I was doing all my research, it mentioned that both of them had taken off their rings. I never even looked at And it. so when I, I looked for it this time, and yes, both of them had removed their rings. Later on, I think there's a goof that the ring appears back on uh, Tiffany's finger, but he was not wearing his ring uh, at the whole, during the whole dance competition scene. Interesting. And then the Eagles win their game. <sighs> but Pat doesn't know that. And he has to go find Tiffany. And she's she is at the bar getting liquored up. Did you right. like how Pat Sr. is wearing colors? Like his suit is the colors of the Philadelphia Eagles. Who are you talking to, bud? Uh, my dad's 80th birthday party. I was wearing a Bronco bow tie. So nice. come on. That's what us fans do, baby. So, yeah, uh, he has to go get her, and uh, she's at the bar. Flirting it up with a guy, a lawyer or something? Yeah, kind of maybe going back into her old ways. I thought it was a little bit of regressing as well. Absolutely. And then Pat shows up and says, come on, it's our turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you guys think of this whole dance? It was fun to watch. Well, I, I enjoyed the jarring changes. Before the dancing, again, to show Pat's, you know, Junior's growth, uh, he, when he comes in and he confronts, you know, this guy that's flirting with a girl that obviously now he cares about, uh, his reaction is very calm. It's not violent. It's not angry. It's not, you know, hitting the guy. He just basically says, go away. Yeah. yeah. And so, again, showing the growth of Pat. Yeah. And, well, I mean, come on. Common sense says that if he throws a fucking fit, then all of this is ruined. Mm-hmm. All the bets gone. Everything's gone. So he has to. Yeah. He has to keep... Uh, is cool and he does because he has grown now regarding the dance is it the chaotic and all that it almost seemed like it was an interpretation of being bipolar the way that it switches into all of a sudden like a metal song and then back to a nice calm song i thought they were just doing an interpretation oh yeah 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 100 percent. i don't know how you not get that mm-hmm. uh normally in dance competitions it's one song very rarely do you have a mix. And they had a mix. And I thought for sure, you know, up until the big move, that they were going to do it. They were going to get a five, you know, because people were enjoying it. And they were actually doing a pretty good job, right? And then comes the big move. And they can't fucking do it. Which was awesome. It, well, I don't know. What was that? Again, what was that big move supposed to be? I mean, she straddled his head. I don't. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter because they couldn't do it. You know, and you even hear the audience go, oh, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, fuck, they're going to lose the bet. They're going to get like a 4.9 or something. So they finish the dance and the scores come in. The first reveal was 4.9. The second reveal was 4.9. The third reveal is 4.8. And then the fourth reveal, that's the one that sends it 5.2, I think it was. It's just a 5.0. No. Oh, uh, no, of the judge, of the judge. Yeah, 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 it's like a 5.4 or something. Something like that, yeah. Which gives it an actual score of 
five points. And what they do a really good job prior to their dance of Pat walking around watching the other dancers and we're getting their scores. We're seeing these professional dancers flipping around and sevens, doing great moves and they're eights. in the sevens, yeah. And I love yeah. how I love how when they get the five the couple says, oh, I'm so sorry, guys. Yeah. Yeah. And so they tell us that the judging is going to be hard. That's hard. What, that's, what they're, that's what they're implying with this. And when they do get their scores and they come up with a five and everyone's kind of like, uh. They're euphoric. Oh, my God. Everybody's cheering. And it's so, the bit that sells it is the guy who's reading it goes, why are they so excited for getting a five? That was the best. <laughs> Again, did it not give you a little bit of Little Miss Sunshine vibes? No. At the end, I thought it was kind of like when she, you know, is up on stage doing her whole thing. Eh, not really. I, I didn't think of that. No. Okay. no. It was such a delightful moment that they are so happy with their five because, the, you know, everybody else is like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And this uh, leads us to uh, probably the biggest scene, I would say, in this film. And I don't know about you guys, but this is. I don't want to say it's clicheic, but I, I've seen this move in movies a thousand times. Right. Pat goes up and talks to Nikki and we don't hear what is said. And I'm glad we don't hear what is said. We should I think not. it's well, I'm going to ruin that for you in a sec. No, don't ruin it. Well, the audience might want to know. They don't want to know. And so um, I like the bit that they keep it quiet and we don't hear. But we see Tiffany's reaction yes, to it. The camera is on Tiffany's face and Tiffany automatically assumes that they're going to get back together and she's, you know, this is what it is. And, and so see, she takes off. And we see Nikki's face as well, how she's reacting to whatever it is that he's saying to her. Right. And I know just because it's been done a hundred times and just the way this movie is going, I know that Pat is basically telling her that I'm done. I'm over you. He's moving I'm on. I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's all we really need to know. Mm -hmm. And so Tiffany runs off. And she thought she's lost him. And Pat goes after her. And I think this part was touching. It was and, very touching. And I really like this part because there's one more letter. There's one more letter. Well, before that, let me just read to you what was in the script. What he whispers in her ear is, you know, I've spent all these months thinking about how to get you back. But the truth is that in doing so, I learned a bit about myself. And I don't need you in that way that I thought I did. So I'm happy that you came out tonight, and I'm sorry that things didn't work out for us, but it's all for the better. Goodbye. Yeah, he's moving on, like yeah, I said. And so he tracks down Tiffany, and uh, he reads the letter, and I love the bit about... Uh, well, she reads the letter, right? Well, well he she starts out reading it, and then he recites the rest of the right, letter. Right, because he knows it, right? Because right, he wrote right, it. Right, right. He wrote it two weeks prior. Right, right. And uh, I love the bit where he says... Uh, I thought I was crazy until you did something to match my crazy or whatever the line is. And she's like, you let me lie to you for two weeks. And what was his response? Yeah. Well, I, I thought it would be romantic. Right before that, right before he heads outside, there's a pivotal moment that I adored. Dad comes up to him and he tells him, do not lose this girl. I love his speech that he gives because Dad is probably thinking that he still wants to be with Nikki and you're going to let Tiffany slip away and you can't let that happen. You have to go for Tiffany. Mm -hmm. I loved his speech that he gave him. Yeah, and, and, and what's, what's brilliant about it is Pat had already made up his mind. And mm -hmm. so it was just reaffirming 
what he thought. Don't fuck this up. That girl loves you. Right. And then what does he do? He says, I love you, dad. Yep. And he takes off. And, you know. Oh, we, and, he, and he kisses him on the cheek. Right. Because Loved we, it. because we over, because we jumped over a bit where we talked about De Niro crying, right? Mm-hmm. So the morning of the competition, De Niro goes up to his room or it's one of the mornings and he wakes uh, Pat up and he, and he just basically says, I'm sorry I was never there. You know, I'm, I'm sorry this is the way it is and it's probably my fault. And De Niro tears up and I teared up. And I guess, like we were saying, it was totally improvised, uh, the tearing, that De Niro just did it because that's what the character was feeling. But it fucking sold it, which makes this moment where he tells him, don't fuck this up, go get this girl, that it's really coming from his heart. And he really believes that. And Pat knows that. And he that's why he kisses him and says, thanks, Pop. You know what I mean? I already made up my mind. I'm going after her. Mm-hmm. But it was just a nice a nice moment it was, between father and it was son. affirmation. Yes. So he reads the letter, tells Tiffany that he loves her. She loves him. And they kiss. And they kiss. And then we cut to the next day. And did you know there's an alternate ending? Mm-mm. I didn't pay attention to the alternate ending. Um, it's basically the same ending, but it's a little bit more of Chris Tucker and the mom explaining what our oh uh, the, the crabby cakes, yeah, yeah, and the homemades. Well, we do get a little bit of that because she's explaining to him, right? But it's just a longer extended scene, and it's game day, and everyone's there, and they're just kind of showing us what a normal day is going to look like from here on out. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated it. I, I thought every, that it ended well. Yeah, and everybody looks to be in a good place. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in the alternate ending, uh, the kid who's always filming and doing the uh, report on the bipolar mental illness report, the uh, <laughs> Philly's playing the Vikings, and he comes in with a Viking shirt. And Robert De Niro, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know how many times I've had to kick people out of my house wearing a Seahawks shirt? Same thing. And it's so funny. And he makes the kid feel like shit. And then, uh, and Jennifer Lawrence gets on board too. How the fuck are you going to come into a Phillies house or an Eagles house and wear this blah, blah, blah. And they go after him, after him, after they kick him out. And Bradley Cooper's going guys. And they finally go, Oh, we're just kidding. They bring him back. But it's as they're coming back, uh, De Niro makes it a point to, uh, say, uh, he can come back in, but not with that fucking shirt on. And then the camera pulls out and, that's how it ends. I one, wish they would have kept that bit. One thing that I that was really subtle in the ending, and I'm sure you guys caught it, was Randy, you know, he's talking, or Pat Sr. is making mention of, I'm now going to be able to open up the restaurant. And it was, you know, Randy did help with that you know, outcome and everything. And Randy makes a comment of, well, do you want to make another bet on the Eagles? He goes, hell no, they're not going to play well in the playoffs or something like that. Yeah. So you can see he's getting a little bit better too. He's not going to just jump right in and lose all that money. Oh, maybe, but I mean, to be fair, he finally got what he needed to open the restaurant, yeah. and that was the goal, you know. So, yeah. Well, I do have some good news for you. If you guys want more Silver Linings playbook, in two thousand twenty-one, it was announced they are developing this movie into a musical. Great. So, Silver Linings playbook focuses a lot on mental illness and dealing with those issues. And it reminds me of another movie. Oh, yeah. A movie where Gollum kind of had a split personality mental disorder. Oh, for fuck's sake. Really? And now it's time for John's... Precious! Moment. 
This is the point in our podcast where I take whatever movie we are reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever made. In Silver Lining Playbook, Pat and Tiffany are on a journey struggling with mental illness. For Pat, it's about controlling his bipolar mood swings and dealing with his dependence on his ex-wife, Nikki. For Tiffany, it's getting over the loss of her husband and dealing with her borderline personality. Both hold tightly onto their past as that is likely the last time they both felt normal. Their found dependence on each other makes them both, at times, Frodo and Sam. But because the movie tends to focus more on Pat's journey uh, with Tiffany being part of that journey, I'd say Pat is more Frodo, making Tiffany our Sam. Gandalf is always represented by a guide, someone who helps get our hero on their journey, then supporting them along the way. In Playbook, Gandalf is Dr. Cliff Patel. Danny often comes to Pat's defense. He isn't always with Pat as he has his own battles to fight, but when he is, he offers guidance, support, and even helps train Pat in some dance moves, much like Aragorn instructs Frodo in some fighting techniques. Therefore, Danny is our Aragorn. Ronnie, Pat's friend, was more of a humorous side character, and he kind of gave me the vibes of a little bit of a Marion Pippin. Pat's brother Jake gave off a Boromir vibe. Helpful and supportive at times, but mostly out for himself, and in the end, really didn't make a whole lot of difference in the full story. So that makes our fellowship Pat, Tiffany, Danny, Ronnie, Jake, and Dr. Patel. For me, Pat Sr. gave off a Theoden vibe. He's king of the castle, and like Theoden, misses his son, who died while he was bewitched. Pat Sr. desperately wants to spend time with his son, who he just got back. Dolores, she reminded me of Galadriel. Just as Galadriel gave Frodo the light of, Arend of the Arendelle star to light his way and to keep him safe, Dolores serves as a light for her son, a beacon trying to keep him safe on his journey. As for Randy, Pat Sr.'s bedding pal, Tiffany pointed out that he really didn't care about anyone else, that he just liked taking people's money and actually got off on it. It's for those selfish reasons that I think he's more of a Gollum in this movie. And just like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, Randy is often seen working against the greater good. The greater good. Sauron is represented by mental illness, and, or actually the stigma society puts on people with mental health issues. At one point in the movie, Pat states one reason he doesn't take his meds is because he's ashamed. He's embarrassed by his illness. So he tries to take control of it rather than let the meds help. In our society, folks with mental health issues are seen as broken and needing to be fixed rather than just being different. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In Lord of the Rings, the ring is a powerful gold band that is, has a controlling and corrupting influence over its bearer. In Silver Linings Playbook, we actually see two rings that represent control and corruption and are nearly impossible for our bearers to give up. Those rings are the actual rings worn by our, our main actors, Pat and Tiffany. It's not until they make it to their Mount Doom, a.k.a. the dance competition, that they finally cast off their rings. If you were paying attention during the dance scene, 
we see as the viewer the first time that Pat and Tiffany are not wearing their rings, symbolizing that they are both ready to move on with their lives. And there you have it, my comparison between Silver Linings Playbook and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. Not bad. Uh, I like the Theoden and De Niro bit because I can see the parallels there. I also like Gladriel. Eh, yeah, I suppose. Because she was trying to be you know, there for him, you know, she got him out of the institution. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, supports him. The, uh, the Sam and Frodo no brainers. I think, uh, I think you hit it right on the nose with Gandalf. Definitely Dr. Patel for sure. Uh, and then, you know, as far as what is the Sauron and the evil guys and you making that the mental illness. Yeah. I mean, Really no other Sauron or evilness in the movie. However, I really did. I didn't see it coming, believe it or not. I, I like the ring bit. I like when they take off the rings and moving on. It's just like uh, them casting the rings into uh, Mount Doom. So good correlation there. I'm going to give you a solid B minus. See, I was right there too. C plus, B minus, C plus, B minus. And it all came down to the ring at the end. So what are you giving him? B minus. Yeah, that's where I was at too. So you know what? Good job, buddy. Good job. And for the listeners, he does have his hand over his mouth as to not lower his score. And that was John's. Moment. All right. What do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, you ready to rate this flick? The voices in my head are saying that I'm ready. Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold. Anytime somebody says, you want to watch Silver Linings Playbook? Fuck yeah, I do. A one fuck movie is a movie where you get done watching it and it's like, what the fuck was that? It, you know, I don't need to ever see that again. Whatever. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is where you feel like somebody owes you two hours and six minutes of your life back. What the hell were you thinking for shit's sake? Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. I would think it'd be like finding your wife in the shower with a history teacher. Oh, that's... Well, yeah, it could be, unless you're into that. Then you just get in the shower, too. Okay, we're going a whole nother direction. I'm just saying different strokes are different folks. That's all I'm saying. Or maybe just stand there and watch. Again, different strokes for different folks. What if Pat walks in, sees them going at it, and instead of beating him to death, he gets naked and jumps in there with him? How do you think the wife and the history professor take that? How about we get back to rating this movie? Well, does that does that make you uncomfortable? Well, a little. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> the guy with all the porn names. He's right? always down for this, and he's always... <laughs> you two should grow up. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right, Professor, take it away, buddy. Silver Linings Playbook. This is a movie that I hadn't seen in a long time, and this watch this time around, it was a really dense, heavy movie for me because I feel like that our main character, Pat, he is constantly trying to defend himself or justify why he is feeling what he feels or, or why his actions are justifiable and I have to say, it found I found it to be, it, it kind of sort of wore me down because the movie is dense in this way. It's always an uphill battle throughout this movie. 
And it's not until we get to the end of the movie where we finally sort of have some buoyancy and things are starting to feel like they're working out. And that journey to get to this point, it, it made for, um, it made for a, a long watch. It was frustrating having myself looking at these situations, thinking that people go through this every day in real life for people. And she's like, oh, that's kind of a downer to think that somebody's daily life, you know, for parents and sons and daughters that, that have to cope with this. And I don't ever have to deal with it. So thank goodness it's only in a movie. I thought that Bradley Cooper was very strong in this movie. I also think that Jennifer Lawrence was magnificent. Well, we already said it at the beginning. All four of these characters, the mom, the dad, Tiffany, and and Pat, stellar. They were on top, and it made for a really solid watch. The story arc, I think, was compelling to watch Pat make his ascent to being a better person, and it was rewarding in the end to see him and Tiffany together, and that was very satisfying, as well as seeing the story arc happening between him and his dad coming together finally. I thought that the mic drops were fun. I think that the tempo and the cadence of the movie works well. I think that the editing was done very well as well. I really appreciated how well this movie is put together. It's a solid movie. I think that this movie is a four solid fuck movie. Four solid fucks from the professor. Would you like me to go next? Uh, Sure, buddy. Before I do, though, would you like to guess my rating? Oh, this is a tough one because this is a drama or a dark comedy, as you like to say it. Very much outside your scope. So I think you are going to play it safe. Oh, maybe not even play it safe. I think you are going to. (laughs) I think you are going to give Silver Linings Playbook. um, Let's go three and a half fucks. Three and a half. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. That's 3.5 for you listeners out there. Silver Linings Playbook is a touching and engaging film that tackles serious issues with humor and sensitivity. The performances are top-notch. The direction makes sense. The story is well-written, giving the viewer insight into the chaotic struggles of the mentally ill. It's a film that makes you laugh, shed a tear, and ultimately leaves you with a positive outlook regarding the idea of it gets better. Both Cooper and Lawrence deliver stellar performances, with Cooper showing a vulnerability and raw emotion to his portrayal of Pat, while Lawrence takes her acting to a new level as a sharp tongue and sassy Tiffany. I also appreciate that this movie highlighted the importance of family and friends in the recovery process. The message of the movie is clear. With the right help and support, anyone can overcome their struggles. Did I enjoy the movie? Yes. Am I glad I watched it? Yes. Do I see mental health in a new light? Yeah, I really do. Do I feel that I want to watch the movie anytime soon? Not at this time. I think I need a little bit more time. And while I think the movie was well done, it didn't fully satisfy me with the ending. It's for those reasons I'm giving Silver Linings Playbook three and a half fucks. Bang! Nice job. Thanks, buddy. And it, it's really just kind of a crapshoot with these kinds of movies. You know, I was really toying with 3.25 or 3.5. I didn't think you were going to go over 3.5 because it didn't have any spaceships in it. Well, if it makes you feel any better, before we started this podcast tonight, 
I had down 3.25 fucks. But as we've talked before, sometimes our opinions change and our ratings change after we have this long discussion. So about halfway through our podcast, I changed it to 3.5. Yeah, well, there you go. So you, you were go. right on both accounts. <laughs> hey, man, don't keep telling me that because my ego is as big as it needs to be on any given day. So, Well, at least something's big. Thanks, buddy. Well, thanks for letting us sit at the table with you. <laughs> no, thank you for sitting at the table with me. I appreciate that. Uh, all right, my turn. I enjoy this movie. This I will go ahead and chalk it up as the first time I've seen this movie. Uh, all of the performances are brilliant. Perfectly cast, beautifully shot, beautifully directed. The needle drops were awesome. You had Stevie Wonder, Alabama Shakes. We've said it before. Needle drops, if used the right way, can enhance the story and move us along, or it can just be a needle drop. David O. Russell's tale about mental health illness uh, is an eye-opener, for sure. And my heart definitely goes out to anyone who has to deal with this issue. It cannot be easy, and you need support. You know what I mean? And what this movie showed me was that you're right, John, that with, uh, with the right support and with love, first and foremost, unconditional love, you know, these problems cannot be solved. I don't know if they'll ever be solved, but they can be managed. And I think that's what the story of this was. And the fact that it ends on a happy note. And you're right, Professor. It's a dense watch. It's hard to get through this. There's so much emotion and so much happening that at the end of it, you're kind of like, oh, wow, that was a really good movie. And I'm glad that it ended this way. I think it ended the way we all want to see life with a silver lining. And, and that's the point. So for all of those reasons, I'm giving Silver Linings Playbook four solid fucks. So with four fucks from the professor, four fucks from yours truly, and 3.5 fucks from the comic book guy, Silver Linings Playbook has an average of 3.8 fucks, which puts it in the 13th position, tied with True Lies, Trains, Planes, and Automobiles, Rambo First Blood Part 2, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It is slightly better than Hell or High Water, The Blues Brothers, and Booksmart, and slightly worse than Moonrise Kingdom and The Suicide Squad. I didn't ask earlier. I'm curious to know, what is your first Bradley Cooper movie that you think of when you think of Bradley Cooper? Hangover. That's where I'm at, too. Go ahead, say it. Guardians of the Galaxy. No, what? Uh, I would if he wasn't just a voice. And he's great as Rocket. Don't get me fucking wrong. Did mm -hmm. I tell you I met him? Mm -mm. We were in New York a couple of years ago doing a show, and I was walking down the hallway, and he was walking the other way. I've seen him a couple of times on shows while we were in New York. And we walk right by each other, and I looked at him, and I said, hey, I love you as Rocket. And he smiles and looks at me and goes, hey, thanks, man. And then him and his security team walk out the door. You two are besties now. Totally. Me and Bradley are like this. All right, what about Jennifer Lawrence? What do you think of her first? It's, I mean, it's hard not to, but... I, I always go to X-Men first class. I don't know why. Oh, see, I go to the Hunger Games. Oh, but, good good call. Good call. Yeah, what Hung about you? Hunger Games first, and then right after that, X-Men. Yeah, 
I mean, she's great as Mystique. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But yeah. All right. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out the website. And speaking of which, John, where can they find us? Well, they can always find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we actually post teasers for whatever movie we're reviewing next. We post all of our show notes. Uh, blog articles related to whatever movie we are reviewing that week, as well as anything else I can kind of fit into that site. You can also find us at all of the social media sites, as well as anywhere that hosts podcasts. All right. I just want to thank Ivy again for throwing this into the Bronco helmet. We had fun watching it and talking about it. I hope you have fun listening to it. I also want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And thanks, Ivy. And thanks to anyone else who listens and who has suggested a movie. You keep listening. We'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. How do you sound crazy and manic again? That would be offensive to try to imitate. <laughs> Fucker. You don't think I saw you push the button? No, I wanted you to go, so I could say, well, that sounds like you're constipated. Should we just go right into it? Yeah, released. Yeah, so that's like a nice little... Until you fucked it up there. Hey, are you going to edit this fucking thing? The comic book what? Adaptation. Adaptation? Adaptation. <laughs> hey, Don, do you know what time it is? Will you do it without shuffling the papers? I, to this day, and Eric, if you're listening, I love you, brother. You and Bronco Joe are the reason we lost Super Bowl 48 to the Seahawks. All right? You guys went there, and we shit the fucking bed. So that's on you. Moving on. Thank you. Pat is reluctant. So Tiffany, Delorius, Delorius. And the, uh, the moment in Baby Driver where seemingly... Ansel Elgort, he is not paying attention. And Jamie Foxx is like, he's watching him play the piano. And it's the same piece of music. It's like, this guy, he, he didn't hear anything you said, but then he he rattles off the entire job from top to bottom. Right. Anyway, so it, it made me think of Baby Driver, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. <laughs> hey, let, let's stick to this movie guy, okay? We'll get, this guy has a hard on for Baby Driver. You what, might want to pick that. What movie are we, are we reviewing? <laughs> a baby diaper. All right, fuck off. Good night.